from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, following the death of George Floyd at the hands of Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin on May 25th, protests broke out in major cities across the U.S. The peaceful protests quickly evolved into riots, looting, and general lawlessness, which have continued in some major cities like Portland and Seattle. The toppling of statues has been followed with the homes of those who uphold the law being targeted by protesters, like the Seattle chief of police, a black female. She's been targeted. The same with the Los Angeles district attorney, another black female. An increasing number of churches have also been vandalized, damaged, or destroyed. The attacks on history, on the individuals and institutions associated with law and morality suggest there is more to what we see happening than the outrage over the death of George Floyd and police brutality. Now, incidents of police brutality are not new. They're also not the norm, as I've said many times as a former police officer. Most men and women who wear a badge do so to protect and serve. Now, is this about racism? Remember the Ferguson riots that occurred in 2014 when Michael Brown was shot by police after he stole from a liquor store and then punched an officer and tried to take his gun? That occurred when Barack Obama, an African-American, was president of the United States. Is this about equality? Does America, the country everyone wants to come to, by the way, have a caste system, as some have claimed, that systematically deny people opportunity of advancement? Or is there something more threatening lurking in the shadows behind these protests and riots? Something that has been preparing for such an opportunity that the current unrest is providing. Are we seeing Marxist tactics being used to subvert America and our constitutional government? What does the evidence suggest? What can history tell us? What are the stated goals of those organizations that are leading this, like groups like Black Lives Matter and Antifa? And then finally, and most importantly, how should you and I respond to what we see happening in America today? Well, that's what we're going to explore today on this edition of Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter or Parler, it's at T. Perkins. You can also find me on Facebook. You know, stories of protests and riots have almost become mundane headlines, as we've had to discuss it over and over during the past few months. Now, I, I caution you, we can't become callous to the violent protest, which, as I mentioned, continue to occur across the country. Now, the question is, is there more to these protests than what meets the eye? Why are these protests still going on? Joining me now to talk about this and more throughout today's program, Larry Taunton. He is executive director of Fixed Point Foundation in the 1990s. Larry was a graduate student in Russian studies and Marxism. He has a soon-to-be-released book, Around the World, in more than 80 days, discovering what makes America great and why we must fight to save it. Uh, Larry, welcome back to the program. Great to be with you, Tony. Before we jump in uh, to today's topic, I just want to, the, the book that's coming out soon, um, Around the World in More Than 80 Days, Discovering What Makes America Great and Why We Must Fight to Save It. What's the topic? What does it focus on? You know, Tony, it uh, struck me, in fact, years ago, before we have reached um, this particular um, cultural moment, you know, when guys like Alec Baldwin, you remember his famous, um, you know, uh, threat uh, that he would leave the country uh, if, I think at the time, maybe it was, it was uh, perhaps it was George W. Bush, I don't recall, but if a Republican were elected as president. And, of course, we're constantly hearing from the left, and, of course, now more than ever, uh, as they're attacking um, history, uh, American history and institutions, that America's a terrible place. Right. Uh, well, somebody who's been in 55 countries, I decided to take that um, claim very seriously, and I circumnavigated the globe three times. And on this particular trip, I went to, I believe, 35 countries in all, but basically seeing how does America stack up uh, against the rest of the world, against those places that the left would hold up to us for models. 
And uh, and what do they think of America? And of course, as you go around the world, uh, you know, I got to do everything from ride elephants to shoot AK-47s with uh, with old Viet, Viet Cong and rappel off the Great Wall of China and so forth. But you discover that uh, that America is a country that everybody wants to come to, and that it is indeed the greatest country in the world. Yeah, very few countries around the world are trying to keep people out. They're trying to keep them in uh, because yeah. they want to come to places like America. I, you know, it's interesting, uh, Larry, with your background in studying Marxism, and I, I joked about this on an earlier program uh, that you were on, that you, you just missed it by a few years because uh, when the wall came down in Eastern Europe, everybody thought communism, Marxism was gone. I, yep. at the time, actually happened to be working as a contractor with the State Department, actually in the early 90s, late 80s, but was there when the wall came down. Uh, was a part of training over uh, roughly about 52 different countries in anti-terrorism. I saw, uh, worked with the first uh, law enforcement officers coming out of the uh, of Eastern Europe, and it was quite fascinating uh, to yeah. to have conversations with them and and to literally see grown men. We brought them to the states for training, and I'll never forget one incident. Uh, it was a group from Poland. Uh, came in, went into a grocery store and stood in amazement at what was on the shelves. And literally, I saw grown men cry because they had no idea. They had never seen so much food in all of their lives. Um, that's just one aspect of America's exceptionalism. And what it produces, it produces opportunity, it produces abundance. And your point, well taken, you know, all these people complain about America, but I don't see them leaving. Um, and I, I well, see everybody no, coming. They're, no, absolutely, uh, they're not. And interestingly enough, Tony, um, I began, you know, I, of course, I began writing this book last year. And I begin the book um, with Colin Kaepernick, you know, as a face of anti-Americanism. And I, I had a couple of editors say to me, who is Colin Kaepernick? And I said, just wait, you'll learn who he is. Uh, it's coming. And of course, here we are now. Um, and, uh, and we're hearing his name um, very frequently. And of course, we will, particularly when we get into the fall and uh, perhaps some sort of um, football season. But, but my book is actually getting at what makes America great. You know, what is the core? I mean, if human nature is the same the world over, and of course it is, how do we account for America being America and not another North Korea? And, uh, the answer to that is the gentling influence um, of the gospel on this country. And, uh, and it's made it an exceptional country through our law and, and uh, our art, our literature, uh, every aspect of our society, and it's, uh, of course, being attacked and eroded. And that is a great segue into our topic of conversation. And by the way, folks, I have a link at TonyPerkins.com if you'd like to pre-order uh, Larry's book. Uh, I'm sure you can do that. Uh, can they do that, Larry, pre-order? Yes, absolutely, please. Okay, so you can go to TonyPerkins.com, and I'll have that up there for you. Now, you talk about really Christianity, Judeo-Christian principles, worldview, whatever you want to, however you want to describe it, really permeating every aspect of American society. It's a key component of America's exceptionalism. What we've been seeing um, on the streets of America, the rioting, the unrest, it, as it continues in some cities, churches remaining a target. And last time we actually talked about rioters in Portland burning Bibles alongside the American flag. Is this more than a rebellious fad driven by students who were bored because of the coronavirus lockdowns. Is there more behind this? Well, of course, it's probably been exacerbated um, by the lockdowns um, and by the fact that youth are youth um, in every generation. But no, there is definitely more behind this. Um, this is being driven by Marxists. I mean, the core of the rioting and the protesting uh, the organizers are themselves Marxists. So again, neither you nor I are asserting that every person who participates in this is a Marxist or even knows who Karl Marx was. Uh, or, you know, any understanding of the, uh, the Communist Manifesto or Sololinsky or any of that. But the organizers, the people behind it are. And of course, 
all anyone has to do is go to the Black Lives Matter website and look under the About Us tab. And if you look underneath that, you'll you'll find that they outline um, what their mission statement. And they make it very clear that they are indeed Marxist. Hold on with that. I want to actually play a clip so that no one says, well, you're just putting words in their mouth. Uh, this is the co-founder of Black Lives Matter, uh, Patrice Colors. This is in her own words. Uh, play that clip for me, Randy. I think of a lot of things. The first thing I think is that we actually do have an ideological frame. Um, myself and Alicia in particular are trained organizers. We are trained Marxists. We are super versed um, on sort of ideological theories. Uh, no one put words in her mouth. She specifically said they're trained Marxists. Do you believe her? Uh, you know, Tony, uh, I do believe her, and I have have read her statements in past. And uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, that's this is who they are, and uh, and their stated goals uh, are is you know is the destruction of society as we know it. Now, just borrowing from history from just a moment, and you were a history student. Have there been times in the past when we've just kind of ignored what people have said? Um, not believing them, and it's led to uh, disastrous outcomes? Uh, yes, of course. You know, I have, I have two degrees in, uh, in in European history and Russian history, and um, what we're seeing right here is, you know, let's take, for instance, the French Revolution. The French Revolution was uh, a kind of uh, a precursor to the modern revolutions that we see Today, the French Revolution in 1789, uh, which is celebrated one of the most overrated uh, events in French history, is celebrated to this day, the uh, the so-called storming of the Bastille and and so on, and uh, the oppressed against the oppressors. And, of course, it led to the reign of terror. Right. It led to complete anarchy, the breakdown um, of government, mob rule until Napoleon's famous whiff of grape shot when he fired his cannon. Uh, upon the crowds and named himself ultimately emperor. Um, this is this is what this is what this looks like. And I, in a very similar way, the French revolutionaries sought the annihilation of society as it was then understood. But, uh, but, and they knew that that was largely based upon um, the Christian faith and the church calendar. Right. So that they even went so far as to as to uh, as to change the calendar. It didn't work, and to change the work week, and that was a complete disaster because they knew that that people had kind of uh, in their DNA this idea that Sunday was a day of rest and so on, and so they went to a 10-day work week. You know, it's it's complete insanity, and it was an utter failure, but we're seeing the same song and dance again. But but just to underscore that point, that at the top of their hit list was the church. That was one of the first institutions in their mind had to fall for them to succeed in what they were attempting to do. Larry Taunton, stick with us. We're up against a break. Folks, don't go away. We're coming back with more on this topic of what's driving these protests. What's the real agenda behind it? What is Marxism? What does it look like? Is there evidence on the streets of America that that is the agenda? We're going to continue our conversation with Larry on the other side of the break. Don't go away. We're back right after this. Do Christians have a biblical obligation to participate in government? Do Christians have a duty to vote? And if so, what principles should inform them while casting their ballots? How should pastors think about politics, and how can they shepherd their congregations well during an election season? The gospel of Jesus Christ has implications for all areas of our life, including politics. Christians must be prepared to grapple with the moral issues of our day, the reality of our two-party system, and follow our Christian convictions to their logical end by voting for candidates that support clear biblical values. Family Research Council has partnered with 21 state family policy councils for a new edition of Biblical Principles for Political Engagement. This booklet provides biblical wisdom and clear answers to pivotal questions to help you navigate the political landscape. This publication exists to facilitate careful thinking about issues and encourage God-honoring political engagement that filters all issues and candidates through a biblical worldview. To read the full publication, visit frc.org engage. 
Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation and the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. Welcome back. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Today, uh, taking a deeper look at the lawlessness, the rioting that continues in some cities in America. What's behind it? What do we what do we need to do? How do we respond to this? Larry Taunton, my guest, um, author and um, well, all around uh, expert when it comes to Marxism. And um, in fact, Larry, that's where I want to pick up. Just give us give our listeners kind of a definition. We, we throw these terms around socialism, Marxism, communism. What is Marxism? Well, let me reassure those who don't understand what they mean that. Uh, they have every good reason not to understand what they mean, and that's because Marx himself and his associate uh, Engels never really clearly defined what they mean. And so if you go on the Internet, let me give you an example. In fact, I thought that I would have a little fun with you and just read you an example of just how problematic um, this can be if I'm, if I'm able to find it, and I probably won't. But uh, let's, just, let's just take this for instance. Um, uh, a working definition of socialism, uh, of fascism, is this. Fascism is a, you know, this is just a basic one that you find online. Fascism is a government led by a dictator who controls every aspect of society. Now, how is that different from socialism or communism? I mean, not at all, right? No. None. Um, and uh, let's the, another definition. Fascism is an authoritarian political ideology. Well, how is that different from communism and socialism? Again, not at all. Uh, in fascism, the means of production are owned by a minority of society. So there we get into something that's slightly different. But from the, from the perspective of those who are being governed, there's very little difference between any of these, socialism, communism, and fascism. But socialism is this idea um, that there is a redistribution of wealth by government, and that the means of production are owned, um, either commonly owned or they are owned by the state. Now, technically speaking, um, socialism is a phase on the way to the socialist utopia known as communism. And communism is where, you know, government dissolves and um, there's no need for government. Everyone rules together and all things are held 
uh, in common. Well, of course, by that definition, there's never been a true, and there never will be, uh, a true communist state. So when we say that, you know, China is communist or North Korea is communist or Russia was communist, it's kind of a misnomer because that's actually not true. They were, they never achieved that. They were, they were just as, uh, as hyper governmental and government focused as any fascist state that ever existed. So, so I'll try to give this kind of simple, simple definition. Marxism, um, which is, which is Karl Marx's own version of socialism, he wasn't satisfied with the socialists of his day who wanted to bring about certain kind of socialistic changes and redistribution of wealth through democratic means. He called for violent overthrow of the government, and he predicted that it would inevitably happen because history is moving along. Uh, there's a reason why he wanted to dedicate Das Kapital to Darwin. Because just as biology, according to Darwin, is being moved along by impersonal forces, history, according to Marx, is being moved along by impersonal economic forces. And ultimately, the proletarians, the working class, would overthrow the capitalistic uh, element of society. Well, of course, it never happened. He said that this is what was going to happen, but it but it didn't happen. He predicted it would happen in the most advanced capitalist societies in the West, in Western Europe and in America, and it didn't happen. And so since that time, others have come along, and they have built on to his philosophy uh, in order to, um, to bring about that Marxist change. So – what do Marxists see as the, the, the primary obstacles to their success? Great question. The failure of Marx's idea was that he predicted this violent overthrow that never happened. So Marxist theorists who came after him, uh, Gramsci, uh, Ant Antonio Gramsci, uh, an Italian Marxist who died in 1937 is very significant to our discussion because this is a guy who came along and he said the reason that the revolution hasn't happened in the West is because certain institutions, certain hegemonies, uh, was the term he used, power structures stood in the way. They prevented it from happening. So he developed something called critical theory or cultural Marxism. And the idea behind cultural Marxism is that these power structures have to be eroded and destroyed. The family, law, morality, democracy, uh, uh, the capital, yeah, that is to say the, uh, the, the monetary system, and religion, which undergirds them all. All of these are pillars that uphold society. So Gramsci said, look, Marx's problem was that Marx called for a frontal assault across open ground to a fortified uh, position, and we got slaughtered. It didn't work. So what we now have to do is not frontal attacks, and this will, this will for a guy, you know, with your, your experience, Tony, this will uh, resonate with you. He said what we need is to infiltrate. We need to infiltrate all aspects of society with these ideas and erode it from the inside, rot it. And that's exactly what we've been watching, is it not? Absolutely, particularly in education. Yeah. You know, um, I'm, I'm a little bothered by the fact that conservatives um, are not seizing the opportunity that is being presented to them with public school teachers who are now saying um, we're not going to go back to school and we don't want um, classes because of the coronavirus, et cetera. So or, 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 Larry, you're singing my tune. <sighs> I, I, I said it's not time to reopen. It's time to rethink public uh, education. Absolutely. I uh, think we're, we're up. Need to ho hold up. Oh, we're, up we're up against a break. Got to got to take a break. We're going to come back, continuing our conversation with Larry Taunton. Don't go away, folks. We're back with more of this special Washington Watch after this.
Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, I definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Are you looking to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus and in your knowledge of God's Word? Family Research Council has released a new three-part series titled Three Ways to Read the Bible. In this series, Petrina Mosley, FRC's Director of Life, Culture, and Women's Advocacy, shares helpful ways to be encouraged and directed by God's truth through studying and applying the Bible's text. Now is the time to get to know God through His Word by looking into the Bible and learning what it says about God, humanity, and the power of Scripture. During this season of isolation, devote time to the Lord and seek out His meaning for you. In times of crisis and any time, this blog series is a great primer on opening your eyes and heart to Him through His Word. Check out this helpful resource and learn how to read the Bible with not just your eyes, but your heart. To learn more, visit frcblog.com. That's frcblog.com. And you're listening to Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. Larry Taunton, my guest, executive director of Fixed Point Foundation, and uh, has a new book coming out, Around the World in More Than 80 Days, Discovering What Makes America Great and Why We Must Fight to Save It. You can pre-order it. Go to TonyPerkins.com. All right, Larry, before we went to the break, we were talking about education. I want to let you finish that uh, thought before we uh, move on, because you're singing my tune, and I want you to finish it. <laughs> Well, um, I know there are a lot of people listening uh, who are huge proponents of, um, of public education. I must tell you, I'm not. And, uh, and that is just simply to say that I think that we're missing conservatives and Christians are missing the extraordinary opportunity that is being presented to us um, by the radical left and their refusal to return to schools. I mean, uh, we know that coronavirus has virtually zero um, threat. Um, to children. But if you want to know where all these radicals in the streets came from, uh, they came from our public institutions, both both at the uh, um, uh, uh, the level of children uh, and then um, uh, college institutions that are that are incubators of radicalism. Right. And uh, um, Marxist cultural Marxists long ago discovered that the way to seize the culture was to seize the minds of children in the schools, and that's what they've done. And, and we, we knew that was happening at the college campuses. That's been happening for the last 40 years. But it's now moved and accelerated with rapid speed in secondary and elementary education as as well. In fact, folks, I encourage you to go to TonyPerkins.com. We've got a three-part series just on the issue of not reopening, but rethinking public education. Now, Larry, I, I want you to, I want to, we're going to run out of time here. There's so much ground to cover here. Cultural Marxism. Explain how that's unfolding the components of that that's at work right now in America. Sure. Um, Marxism, the ideas of Karl Marx, think of it like a layer cake. And the base layer are the ideas, the thought of Karl Marx. Well, the next, the next layer up from that um, comes from Antonio uh, Gramsci, and it is this idea of critical theory or cultural Marxism, and that is that the way to soften up a society so that it is more receptive to the ideas of Marxism is to attack all of the pillars 
that hold up that society. In our case, uh, it's the Christian faith. It's our patriotism. Uh, it is uh, the fact that we are a very wealthy country per capita. Uh, it is our morality, our law, and then, of course, the family. Now, if you think about it, Black Lives Matter is attacking all of these, and that's what cultural Marxism is. That's what they're doing. And then on top of that, you know, is this idea, the next, the next layer up from that is what we would call critical race theory, which is where all this language of of white privilege and so forth is coming from. And the, the, the troubling aspect for me on this, Larry, is that, you know, I, I, I see this. I actually worked, as I mentioned earlier, folks coming out of Eastern Europe whose eyes were open to to what um, America actually had to offer. But kids, and even, it's not just kids, but I've seen a number of church churches, pastors, that have adopted the Black Lives Matter um, slogans and, and are just kind of following along with this, I, I guess, unsuspectedly, um, uh, unaware of what this whole agenda is. Yeah, I mean, you know, off air, you were asking me about my, my uh, visit uh, to the doctor's office um, today, and uh, the receptionist who was checking me in, she's an African-American woman, and I could see um, the screensaver on her phone was Black Lives Matter. Now, she was delightful and very professional in her engagement with me, but I couldn't help but think she probably does not know what Marxism is, uh, much less who Karl Marx is and that the ideas that are behind this. I doubt, and I'm making a lot of assumptions here, but I doubt she's a, she's a, she's a Marxist. But people confuse Black Lives Matter, a statement of human dignity and worth, which we believe in, and Black Lives Matter, a Marxist militant uh, organization that is <laughs> that, that needs to be opposed and defeated. But through the disruption that's taken place, which the catalyst in this case being George Floyd, that whole agenda has been thrust to the forefront of uh, of a public debate. Yeah, for sure. Um, a historian by the name of J.M. Thompson, a book that I read of his many years ago, I, I don't remember really anything about the book, but I recall this statement. It was a great line. He said, a man, um, a man is never so dangerous as when he can identify a personal grievance with a matter of principle. In other words, where I disguise my personal grievance in principle to give it the veneer of respectability. Mm -hmm. Now, that's, that's what's happening here. Right. Marxism has a history of nothing but destruction. It is a soul-crushing philosophy. I wrote about this at length in my book, um, The Grace Effect, about the adoption of, of our daughter from Ukraine, uh, where she grew up according to Marxist principles and just awful, awful ideology. I mean, get this, secular regimes, mostly Marxist, in the 20th century alone killed no less than 125 million people. Now, that's more than all religious wars from all previous centuries combined. That is the history of Marxism. So lot. what do we do? If you're, a, if you're a Black Lives Matter, you hide it in the principle of racial equality. All right, and Larry, so hold that. Hold that, Larry. See what it is. We're going to talk about it on the other side of the break. Folks, don't go away. We're going to wrap up our conversation with Larry Taunton on the other side of this break. Don't go away. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increased pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. 
How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org sexuality. Again, that's frc.org sexuality. In today's culture, it can be difficult for men to navigate what it means to be a man and to find clear models of masculinity and manhood. There are many competing ideas out there and even confusion around the basic concepts of gender and sex. Where can boys, young men, husbands, and fathers find a model of manhood, leadership, and strength in today's culture of confusion? This is Tony Perkins inviting you to join me at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference led by men who are seasoned, compassionate leaders who understand the issues of the day. These issues will invest in unpacking our role as defenders, providers, instructors, and battle buddies so that men can have generational influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Join us at one of our upcoming events in Texas, Louisiana, Florida, or Virginia. Learn more about Stand Courageous and find an event near you at StandCourageous.com. That's StandCourageous.com. StandCourageous.com. With horrifying acceleration in recent years, verified reports of murders, rapes, mutilations, and kidnapping of Christians in Nigeria have persistently increased. These attacks are frequently accompanied by the torching of homes, churches, villages, and agricultural fields. A July 15, 2020 headline reports that over 1,000 Nigerian Christians were killed in the first six months of 2020. This is in addition to 11,000 Christians who have been killed since June 2015. News stories about the assaults in Nigeria are rarely reported in mainstream media outlets. But when they are, they're regularly explained away as effects of climate change, local feuds, or religious wars for which both sides bear equal responsibility. For more information about the persecution of Christians in Nigeria, read FRC's publication, The Crisis of Christian Persecution in Nigeria, at frc.org slash Nigeria. TonyPerkins.com, the website. You're listening to Washington Watch. Larry Taunton, my guest, he is uh, the executive director of Fixed Point Foundation, uh, discussing what's happening on the streets of America and the Marxist tactics that are being used. Uh, all right, Larry. Now, this stuff is it's really not hidden from us. I mean, you just, for, in fact, you go to people like uh, authors like Saul Alinsky in book Rules for Radicals, a very small book. Doesn't take you long to read it. I've read it a few times. And it really is the playbook. And he was a Marxist and he's put it into practical steps that we see the left using today, including Black Lives Matter and Antifa. Correct. Um, you know, people will see on television and perhaps on social media repeatedly videos that go something like this. There's a police officer standing um, erect, and uh, one of these protesters comes, and or maybe a Trump supporter, let's say, and then one of these Black Lives Matter or Antifa uh, protesters comes and gets in their face and shouts at them and knocks their sign out of their hand and shrieks and perhaps even uh, becomes violent. Now, I've seen that all, all over television and social media. Um, these are Marxist tactics. This is straight out of um, the book you just mentioned, Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. And just to be clear, uh, Alinsky got his ideas. He didn't invent them. His ideas came from studying people like Mao and um, Stalin and Lenin, and I, though he doesn't admit it, um, uh, almost assuredly um, Hitler and what they did. And uh, Alinsky um, speaks very pridefully of how um, it is his tactic not to let the other side speak. We'll pound the tables and we'll shout and we'll make demands and we will not let them make a statement, he says. Uh, well, this runs very counter to a you know democratic society and the way we're used to seeing things done. But uh, Alinsky's tactics are tactics for bullies and they're tactics that assume 
the the opponent has a moral core. I mean, you try this in Iran, and they're just going to, you know, gun you down or arrest all of you. Um, but the tactic of getting in the face of a police officer or a Trump supporter or something like that assumes that those people are not going to respond in kind. That's because they have a, a moral framework that exactly. we, we operate from. And that's what we need to realize because, you know, we generally believe others see the world as we do. You know, if we're honest and we treat people fairly, we generally believe people will do the same to us. You know, in fact, most of society operates according to these moral principles. It's kind of what Paul says in Romans chapter 2. It's inscribed on our hearts. But that doesn't mean people always adhere to those principles, but they do acknowledge them. This is not true of those who follow these teachings of Marxism. And so I think we need to understand that they're not looking at this the same way we do. No, not at all. They they don't see the world from uh, your framework. And for instance, if you're white, they're of the view that you are a racist. Now, this is something that I think many white people uh, have had some difficulty coming to terms with. They're not entirely sure what this means. They see signs that speak of white supremacy, and they're thinking, well, where are all the KKK members? I mean, I don't know any, and I certainly don't belong to any such organizations. But see, what Black Lives Matter uh, has done is that they have broadened, and this is part of cultural Marxism, they've broadened the definition of, of racism to mean basically anyone who is white. If you're white, you are by definition a racist. Mm-hmm. You can't escape it, they argue. It's you've been brought up to be racist. It's subtle. It's something you don't even know that you do. You just don't understand that you are, in fact, a racist and you are uh, a person who has white privilege. And therefore, you are fair game. All right, Larry Taunton, let me ask you this question. We've you know, we've had a little bit of time to unpack Marxism, cultural Marxism critical race theory, what's what's happening, what's kind of behind this agenda. And, and from their own mouths, we've heard the organizers of Black Lives Matter say they've been trained in Marxist, Marxist tactics and ideology. As believers, as Christians, the vast majority of our audience across the country, uh, Christians, conservatives, how do we deal with this? Uh, Marxism and Christianity, oil and water, incompatible, Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let, let me just use a real basic example. Um, e pluribus unum, out of many, one. You know, that's what we find on our on our currency. Um, the idea of the melting pot, that's what that is. These ideas, which are American ideas, are rooted in Christianity. And we find that expressed nowhere better uh, in our founding documents than in the Declaration of Independence, where it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, right there, right there, the, the founding fathers were making the claim, we are appealing to God in our complaint against the home country, against England, and against our oppression. And we, we argue that we are justified in rebelling um, because we're not being treated as having these certain unalienable rights. And, uh, and so our Constitution seeks to make us one. We are all one in the sense that we're all Americans. We're all uh, we share these truths to be self-confident, uh, excuse me, to be self-evident, that they are confident, uh, by the way, as, as well. Now, compare that with what Black Lives Matter is doing here, with what the Marxists are doing. Any decent person I know, uh, most of whom have been raised to believe that you don't judge a person by their the color of their skin or by their economic status. You judge them by their character. Well, now... Marxists are telling us, no, 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 no. You're to judge people by the care, by the color of their right. skin. You are to judge them by their gender. You are to judge them by their economic status. And so, where the Christian faith and our through our Constitution, our founding documents, would seek to make us one, where there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither male nor female, or uh, slave nor free. This is exactly the opposite of what the Marxists are doing. They're atomizing society into groups of oppressed and oppressors. And if you're a white male, you're by definition 
an oppressor. Uh, if you are a black female, by definition, you are oppressed. This is this is what they're doing. And of course, the ideas that are that are at the core of this Marxist this this certain iteration of Marxism are themselves inherently racist. Mm-hmm. And, the and, irony, and of course, dividing into these groups, it aids their creation of discontentment which gives them the, the power they need to undermine the system. Now, let's move in. Before we run out of time, Larry Taunton, let's move into the, the, the cure. What, what do we do as Christians? How do we handle what we see unfolding on the streets? My suggestion is that you know we not back up, we not be silent, we not hide in our subdivisions in our homes, but I think the antidote to the spread of this... This Marxist ideology is a vibrant and engaged Christianity. Uh, absolutely. Um, listen, uh, Mar- there's a reason that the Marxists are attacking the church. They're tra- attacking the Christian faith. They're burning Bibles. And the reason is because they understand, maybe better than many Christians do, that the foundation of Western civilization as we know it in America uh, is the Christian faith. I mean, T.S. Eliot said this, if Christianity goes, the whole culture goes. They know that. And you see, the, the Marxists of Black Lives Matter and Antifa, they are seeking the destruction of society as we know it to, um, to create tabula rasa upon which they can build their new utopian Marxist uh, state. So the response to this is a vibrant church that is unafraid in preaching the truth um, of the Christian faith. So it's not simply enough to oppose these ideas as wicked and out of the pit of hell, which, of course, they are, but it is understanding. I loved, I heard I heard an old Billy Graham sermon recently in which he said this, we as people see lots of different groups, rich and poor and black and white and uh, so on and so forth. He said God sees only two those who are saved and those who are not. And I think that's the way we need to think about this. We need to be preaching. We need to be proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is an authentic salvation, opposing this very wicked secular version of salvation that can give no remission of sins. Now, I'm not going to point point to a man-made conspiracy. I'm not given to that. But I do believe (laughs) in... I do believe that there is one who, from the very beginning, has tried to counter everything that God has done. And there is conspiracy, may not be man-made. But when we see all of this unfolding, don't you find it a little ironic, Larry, that many of the churches are shut down in America? Uh, Yes, I do. And uh, I love what John MacArthur did um, recently in, uh, in opposing that and saying, no, we will continue to meet. Listen, um, churches here have to be, and, and their members, if you're, you know, if, if, you're, if your church is woke, you need to go to another church. I mean, you, you need to go to a place that sees Scripture as the final authority and um, where the gospel, the salva- that salvation is preached through Jesus Christ alone. That is, that is, what, that is what we need in, uh, in opposed to this. And by the way, I published I mentioned uh, the last time I was on your show, I published an article called Karl Marx versus Charles Spurgeon. You know, both men lived in London at the same time for some 30 years. But I I think it's very interesting that that Marx mentioned Spurgeon by name in his own letters. And what he saw, I believe, in Spurgeon was a man who embodied everything that he was trying to destroy. But because he wasn't successful— the bloody revolution he was preaching never happened in Britain. Hmm. The the power of the gospel, and I I would say in our country, the the Judeo Christian worldview, Christianity being so central to the foundation of our our country, and it's been hammered away at for the last sixty years with uh, intentionality. But if we don't repair those foundations, if we don't uphold that truth and and not shrink back in silence and in fear 
intimidated, which is, by the way, going back to Saul Alinsky, that's also a part of their tactics is to intimidate by marginalizing and silencing the opponent so that they have no uh, opposition. they got a clear run runway Great point. for what they want to do. And so we're aiding them when we step back in silence out of fear of being labeled, as you said, a racist, because if, if you're white, uh, you're, you're racist. It also it works very well. It's kind of the trump card, if you will, in debate. You call someone a racist, and it's over. Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought this point up because um, I failed to do so earlier in our discussion. If you watch what Antifa and Black Lives Matter are doing, their tactics don't simply rely on um, the opponent having a moral core, but they they also are relying on their bombast and their threats uh, it, to intimidate you. Fear is a primary tactic that they, we have here. Mm-hmm. And if I, I can only imagine where all this would be, where we would be in this cultural moment, if the Drew Breeses of the world had been able to stand their ground, and I'm not trying to pick on Drew Brees because I like him. I think he's a, I think he's a good guy. But, um, but Drew Brees, um, you know, back down when, when he was attacked, and as have many others. And you still have many others who are corporate, uh, you know, institutions that are donating millions of dollars to Black Lives Matter as a kind of uh, protection money. We'll give you money if you don't smash our windows and if you leave us alone. Um, that's what we're seeing taking place. And Americans have to stand their ground, not to be ridiculed into uh, uh, into believing that their country is terrible and that their their patriotism is is wrong. Um, these are the tactics they use, and they're relying on you responding in that way. Yeah, just mentioning you know everything about America is wrong. You know, one thing when you read the Bible as as believers, you know the, the in fact one of the main reasons that God told the fathers to teach their children what he had done and where they had been uh, was that most of the time the men made mistakes and it was God's grace that brought them out. And so our history is not celebrating the fact that we were perfect, far from it, but it celebrates the redemptive nature of God and that he has brought America forward in spite of the mistakes and the decisions that we made that were contrary to his truth and his word. Well, boy, don't I know it. I mean, uh, uh, Tony, I'm a sinful man. Um, I walk in the grace of God. I walk in the, the confidence, not in, in my own human confidence. I, I walk in a, the confidence that the blood of Jesus Christ and his grace are sufficient even for me, a wretch. And I walk in the confidence that in spite of my uh, my sin and my failings and my imperfections, that God still wants to use me, and he wants to use me in this fight. And that at the, at the end of the day, um, we'll, we'll be judged not, not just simply by our sin. It's more than that. We'll be judged by how we respond to our sin, because hell will be full of those people who have a singular sin in, com- in common, and that's a failure to repent. It's pride. It's self-righteousness. It's how we respond to the grace of God. Larry Tondon, let me thank you for being so generous with your time. This time, the music, uh, this is it. They take our chairs away when the music stops after this. <laughs> hey, uh, good to talk with you, my friend. Thanks so much for joining us. And uh, when hey, that, you, when that book comes out, we're going to have you back on uh, as well to talk more about the book that's coming up. By the way, folks, uh, you can find out more. Go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. If you missed any of this interview, it'll be archived later. Later at TonyPerkins.com. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, just keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.